international pop icon. Youngest self-made billionaire woman. Fashion mogul. And mother. What's her name? Rihanna! Rihanna! From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making. I'm Brandon Pope. Today, it's Making Rihanna. She was just 16 when she signed a deal with Jay-Z and 19 when her smash hit Umbrella took the world by storm. And the Grammy goes to Rihanna featuring Jay-Z for Umbrella! But her legacy does not stop there. Now she is changing the fashion industry as we know it. Bad Girl Riri is now Rich Girl Riri, 34 years old, already a mogul, recently gracing Forbes' annual list, making her the wealthiest female musician in the world and second to Oprah as richest entertainer. What takes someone from island girl with a catchy single to a music and fashion supernova? You be fearless every day, and when you don't feel like it, just pretend, girl. (laughs) Really and truly, don't let them see you sweat. What were the years that defined bad girl Robin Rihanna Fenty? And I warned her, it's a roller coaster. You're going to get kicked in the gut. Are you sure? And I'll never forget, with no hesitation, it was like, it's all I've ever wanted. And I was like, that's the right answer. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. And then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on. This is the voice of Robin Rihanna Fenty, aged 15, persuaded by her friends to sign up for her high school beauty pageant and talent show on her island home of Barbados. Look inside you and be strong, and you finally see the truth. I dreamed of it all. I always dreamed of it and I wanted to do it so bad. I always said by the time I'm 18, I want to be a singer. If not, forget it. (laughs) Yeah, because you know, after you get 18, it's kind of harder. And I had a backup plan, psychology. Luckily, fame found her early on. In high school, she formed a trio with friends and performed Destiny's Child songs. It wasn't long before American record producer Evan Rogers visited Barbados with his wife and the trio auditioned for him. I was there because my wife is from Barbados, so we would go to Barbados all the time. That's our our main hang. Um, Being a record producer, songwriter, people knew on the island the word gets around, so it wasn't unusual for people to ask for auditions or, you know, so-and-so knows someone who can sing. So this was just another uh, one of those three 15-year-old girls. Could they come by the villa? And, of course, uh, you never know. So the three of them came for their audition. Rihanna was late, went home, I believe, to change uh, to get her look just how she wanted it. 
and they all sang for me. Rihanna sang Dangerously in Love, and I just heard something really unique and special in her vocals, even though they were raw. And she had a presence when she walked into the room. Um, and it was just one of those moments where I, I think I have something really special here. She had the X Factor. So I had to organize a follow-up meeting with just her and her mother um, the next day. And that's when we had the talk about, do you want to come up and take a shot at this? And I warned her, it's going to be a lot of, it's a roller coaster. You're going to get kicked in the gut. It's like, the music business is tough. Are you sure? And I'll never forget, with no hesitation, it was like, it's all I've ever wanted. And I was like, that's the right answer. Rogers recommended she go by her middle name, Rihanna, and she flew to the U.S. to record a demo. It was right to almost exactly a year from the time that I first met her that Veda Nobles played us this beat and this track for Ponda Replay, a girl named Majesty, had written the lyrics, and we just knew this is, this is that door opener, this is that one... I played it for her over the phone, and she was like, it sounds like a nursery rhyme, but I trust you guys. And then she came up, and when she put her voice on it, it was magic. That's the catchiest nursery rhyme I've ever heard. Yeah. (laughs) Some of the biggest hits are like nursery rhymes. She recorded her first demo, Ponda Replay, and Rogers sent it to the major labels. The first label meeting was rough, didn't go well. It was like, whoa, this is going to be a little harder than we thought. But then he got a call from Jay Brown of Def Jam Records, where Jay-Z was president and CEO. She has this outrageous song called Pony Replay. Mm-hmm. And then he played that song for me, and I was I was scared. I was like, um, that song is too big for her. And when she walked into our office, I was like, you know, she just had, it was just something about her. You know, L.A. Reid walked in. And you could just feel the excitement from everybody, Tata, Jay Brown, Jay-Z, Tracy Waples, the whole team there. Carl Sturk and my partner played acoustic guitar, and she sang For the Love of You. And then she did Palm the Replay, and she danced. She had choreography. It was like, oh, my God, it was so, so crazy. But you just... They wouldn't let us leave. They were like, what do we got to do to cancel the rest of your meetings? What you're hearing is never before heard footage of Rihanna rehearsing with Evan. I've never met a celebrity. And to have to audition for one and meet him at the same time, like Jay-Z, someone like him, I I was hysterical. We signed it that night. We didn't let it leave the office. Really? The three in the morning was when that contract got signed. It was the longest 12 hours of my life. Like, I was just waiting downstairs and I was like, get the contract down here. I want to sign it, I want to sign it, I want to sign it. I was so hyped. I mean, I, just, I was just looking at this, the roof like, oh gosh, is this happening? It was really hard to anticipate that this was going to turn into one of those, you know, short list of like five or six biggest artists in the world. This is Bill Wordy. He was the editorial director of Billboard magazine back when Rihanna was starting out. Ponda Replay was 
you know, a cute song by an adorable newcomer to the to the charts. But I, I don't know that if I'm being honest, I, I would have said in that moment, oh, man, this is, you know, this is going to be a one name icon in a matter of time. All right. So if that wasn't the moment, then what was the moment where you said, OK, this artist, Rihanna, she's got something here. She could be an icon. Well, certainly uh, Umbrella was the first time that the conversation shifted from this is a singer who has great singles to this is an artist who may be bigger than her songs. This is an artist with an identity. That voice doesn't exactly sound like Rihanna now, does it? The man on the vocals is Terrius Youngdell Nash, also known as The Dream. He wrote Umbrella with Tricky Stewart, and this is the demo. Trick starts, starts to play this chord, and I kind of walk in at that, at that same moment, and I hear it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I turn the mic on. I maybe had to go back and change four words, but I sung it from the top to the end exactly as is how you hit a song today. They brought the song to Britney Spears. She said no. Then Mary J. Blige. She said no. Then it found its way to 19-year-old Rihanna, and she killed it. The song blew up. It topped the charts across the world. It stayed at number one in the UK for 10 weeks, coinciding with severe flooding. They called it the Rihanna Curse. She's here to make it rain right now. Fellas, I need you to grab your umbrellas and welcome Rihanna to the show. And there you are, 19 years of age and breaking through at that level already. Fantastic success. And the Grammy goes to Rihanna featuring Jay-Z for Umbrella. This song won her her first ever Grammy, and the hit is now listed as number 332 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. Evan, what was going on behind the scenes that led to this huge pop culture moment? So the album, you know, being Good Girl Gone Bad, it was definitely a statement already that we knew this was sort of the growing up, her becoming a young woman. And when that song came in, I think we felt she'd found her identity. A lot of the previous singles have been pitched in higher keys, which I think being a young teen artist, songs get thrown, you know, and they were hits, SOS, Unfaithful, you know, great songs. But I think we always felt from day one that she had a, a richer, lower part of her tone that really allowed her to shine. And Umbrella... Everything came together. It was the comfort zone where she could show that swag in her voice. Uh, everything began to change quickly when that song hit. You saw that sort of darker edge come to the fore. This is the head of British Vogue, Choma Nadi. When she was editor of Vogue.com, she did Rihanna's maternity shoot. Before she had this very cute look with the ripped jeans and the waves, and here she is, you know, she's on heels, she's, she's in this, this body-skimming look. And you see her in a much more kind of um, this this dark, more sexy attitude come to the fore. And 
And I think she's always been a person who embraces risk and and likes to do what people don't want her to do. So, you know, you, you see that she enjoys transformation, like how she presents herself and uh, taking on different characters and um, flipping the script. And it's kind of interesting to see someone so young do that because I think she definitely grew into her style. I think she's definitely continues to raise the bar, you know, each time. Um, but it's interesting to see someone so young, so self-possessed and so really understands the power of their image as well as the power of their sound. Now, Bill, what was it about Umbrella that really kind of pierced the cultural fabric and made it pop the way that it did? I, I think there's a couple things about Umbrella that make it succeed the way it, it does. Like, first and foremost, and, and you know, I don't want to bury the lead here, it's just a phenomenal production like it's a phenomenal song everything from like her vocals the way she sort of like sing raps some of the lyrics particularly like the you know i'm stick it out till the end parts these things just really stick in your head you also have this moment where you have jay-z not just signing her but now literally co-signing her on the video which is i mean you know that's jay really extending himself that's jay like you know with the with the biggest co-sign of all uh and you also have this repositioning Right. The the whole era is this good girl gone bad concept. And here's Jay-Z, you know, one of the ultimate bad boys in a certain context on this uh, video for this artist who we previously thought of as kind of like, you know, a cute pop star. And here's Jay setting it up as, you know, good girl gone bad. Literally what he says right at the beginning of the video. And, you know, and obviously the last part of this is the video, which is just incredible. Right. It, I mean, the video itself has become iconic. Yeah. A little bit of a perfect storm there. Oh, well, especially when you got Jay-Z, who was in his retirement phase, in a sense, endorsing the track, right? It adds a whole new level. Yeah, I, I remember the day that Jay Brown called us and said, uh, I want you guys to come down. I'm going to play you something. He didn't tell us what, because we'd already heard the finished song. You know, we loved it. And, you know, it's a, it's a, this is it. This is the first single. And then when we walked in and he just pressed play, and and we heard Jay do the intro. It was like, okay, you know, now now it's it's really getting real. You know, now it's on. It would have been so awkward and funny if you guys had heard that and been like, nah, that's not for me. Like, <laughs> I don't like, like it. Like like not only because like you know Jay Brown is like one of Jay Z's like real lieutenants, right? So there's a little bit of like a dynamic there. Like if he had just hit play, he'd been like, oh no, that's whack. Like that would have been. That I, I will tell you though that L. A. Reid. I'm pretty certain this is true, uh, that he told me this, that um, when he heard Jay's first verse, L.A. said, you can top it. Because we got the first verse from Jay-Z was not the one that became the one. And it was good. We loved it. But L.A. pushed him and he did another verse. And that became the one that went on the record. Can I say, like... I think there's something really brilliant there because, again, everything has to line up for there to be like this this massive hit. Right. Um, and L.A. Reid, who's been, you know, controversial in the business for a number of reasons in the last whatever years, uh, that guy knows how to tell a story. Right. And, and, and that's that's what that was about. Right. And I think about pop stars a lot the same way I think about like worldwide wrestling wrestlers. They all have their narratives and their stories yep. and the ones that are really going to pop and stick around. Like you got to get the right song at the right moment that kind of fills that story moment. Absolutely. And I think that's what 
that's that's what Jay did with that verse a little bit. He positioned it that way. No clouds in my stones. Let it rain. I hide your plane in the bank. Coming down like a thousand Jones. When the clouds come, we go. We the other thing it does, which a lot of great pop songs have done over the years, is it walks this line between like um, where it's where it's dropping some entendre, let's say, right? So you know you get to the end of that song and it's like it's the the chorus, it's raining, uh, come into me. There's a whole long history in pop music of men and women dropping lines that are like hmm wait a minute <laughs> like like what 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 are we singing about here so i i'm not sitting here saying like that was you know do i think it was intentional do i think that there was an awareness of an entendre there like probably i mean let's not forget the, the song starts off with jay-z saying good girl gone bad so like i i think throughout this album in general and certainly her next album you really see her start to begin to um experiment with more overtly sexual themes and kind of grow into being a, a, a grown woman. Evan, I'm curious, uh, do you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, Rihanna was always had an edge to her from day one. Um, I mean, on her first album, we had a song called There's a Thug in My Life. How am I going to tell my mama? And we were like, she can't do that song. And she was like, no, I want that. And and she, it was like, oh, okay, you know. And and so, I think that with everything from the title of the album "Good Girl Gone Bad" to those lines in that song, um, you know, it was no accident. That's who she is. You know, she is an edgy person. She is a risk taker, and everything from the changing her hairstyle for that album. You know, that was a lot of pushback from the label. You know, she can't have short hair you know the bob with the angular look like that was she knew what she wanted you know and that album was definitely like now you're gonna see more of who who i am growing into a young woman just a few years later something happened in rihanna's personal life that became international news the singer on top of the charts and on top of the world and then last February, she was physically assaulted by her equally famous boyfriend, always known as one of the nice guys, Chris Brown. I am strong. This happened to me. I didn't cause this. I didn't do it. This happened to me, and it can happen to anybody. There are a lot of women who've experienced what I did, but not in the public. So it made it really difficult. Nachoma, this is an incredibly tender period of time for Rihanna and her loved ones. What was going through your head during this moment? Uh, I mean, you know, I think how incredibly brave she was and how she responded to this moment, I think, was pretty incredible because I think she's had to endure all of this with the public eye, you know, what so many women go through. And I think it showed her resilience and her ability to sort of be vulnerable to and to talk very candidly about something that was a particularly difficult moment to navigate. I remember the interview with Oprah um, and, you know, you could see the, the sort of anguish and the, the sort of pain that she'd been through. I think that when the world saw that mm -hmm. in 2009, that's what stuck with so many people. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. But nobody could feel that more than me. It happened. It happened to me. And it happened to me in front of the world. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was hurtful. You know, it's not easy. I lost my best friend. Like, everything I knew switched. Switched in a night. But she was brave enough to sort of speak on it. I think she understood that it was important that she did for other women to raise awareness. And um, I think she's had to endure some very difficult moments. And perhaps this was a, a sort of moment for her that she really had to find a way to be at once kind of protect herself, but also to be vulnerable. And I think it's a really difficult balance for someone who's in the public eye to strike. Um, I don't think many celebrities are able to do that. And it's something that's very special to her and unique to her. Now, Bill, there's also value in understanding what this means for her public image. So in terms of how she was perceived as a celebrity, as an icon, what changed? Wow. So this is obviously a lot to unpack. Uh, and it's it's obviously a very triggering thing for for an incredible number of people. Um, and I think first and foremost, it's it was an awful, awful thing to have happened to Rihanna. Um, I think a couple things to understand from a public image perspective. One is, uh, you know, this happens after the Grammys. So you already have this moment where all attention is on music, or at least in, you know, in terms of pop culture, all attention is on music. And suddenly the story shifts. And now instead of talking about the Grammys, this is the story that they're talking about. So that's number one. And I don't mean to be, you know, gross about that. I mean, again, I don't want to bury the human element here. This is a person who experienced a traumatic thing. The other part of this is that, you know, at first it's a news story, it's words, and then um, someone leaks the images. And so then there's this like next round. And so now those are going all over the world. And, the, you know, another factor to keep in mind here is this is relatively in the early days of mass social media. So things like this, like suddenly for the first time, the narrative can't be controlled by the powers that be because the narrative is being created on social media by people that are consuming this and sharing thoughts. And, you know, so, I mean, I'm sure that that we would all want this to have happened in a different way. But even as big as Umbrella was, things like this, when they happen, they do have a way, like people's grandmas were talking about this, right? This was major news. This was no longer like, oh, I'm a fan of the pop charts or I love pop music. Of course I know who Rihanna is. Suddenly she's hitting the radars of millions of people around the world, tens of millions of people around the world that may not ever even listen to pop music. Now, Evan, you're her uncle, Evan. She's an extended part of your family. Tell us what you're thinking and feeling when you reflect on this time. Uh, That was a painful chapter. Um, We were all at the hotel out in Hollywood, you know, night before the Grammys. And so the morning, early the morning of the Grammys, woke up to these calls, um, just craziness. And at first not getting the whole story and, and then the realization of what had happened kicked in. And, you know, there had been whispers of there had been some shows canceled, you know, leading up to it and little whispers of what's going on, you know, behind the scenes. We had gotten to know Chris Brown and seemed like, you know, a, a 
totally like they were happy together and fun and so shocking um, and hurtful. And I'll add um, one other angle, which was particularly infuriating to myself and, and my team, was the amount of blame being pointed at her as this unfolded. Like I was, I guess I should never be shocked, you know, with social media and everything, but there was a fair amount of people pointing the finger at her. She, uh, I heard that she did this to him. I heard that, you know, which made it a painful situation, much more painful. Um, And I can only imagine how that made her feel. But it was a whole process, you know, that that took a lot of a lot of time to to come back from. Sometimes you think you're over something like that, but it uh, I'm sure is a you know a life changing experience to a horribly traumatic thing. Evan, you mentioned that vitriol that was going around about her at this time from some, but there was also a lot of love and support that was being shown too. Uh, Bill, can you zoom out for me a little bit and talk about America as a whole? What does this incident teach us about how fandoms shift during a tragedy? Well, you know, like I mentioned, this is sort of, um, this is still the relatively early days of mass Twitter. Um, This is also the first year or two, really, of this concept of fan armies emerging. I mean, it's actually really fascinating. I mean, you look back now and this kind of like like ride or die mentality, this like I am able to refute any logic, any fact that doesn't fit my narrative of how I see my favorite artist, which is what's going on here with like Chris Brown had his fan army and they were not willing, a lot of these people, to just take at face value what what we were seeing. And, and, and so I, I suspect strongly a lot of these attacks, and I still see this today, like Chris Brown fans that are like almost radically defensive about the criticisms that get levied against Chris Brown. But, you know, you almost see echoes of this, right? Like that was <laughs> that pop fans were the first to organize pop fans were the first to, to kind of create these mass movements of support. I think it's fascinating just how fans become more protective over artists. You know, you mentioned these Stan Hoods. We see Cardi B has her Barty gang, Nicki Minaj, she got the barbs, the beehive. You see them all over social media. It becomes more than just passively listening to music, right? But an actual, like, an identity that you kind of embody. Yes, and I will say, of all those fan armies, I got to give a shout out here uh, to Rihanna's Navy um, because, you know, you talk about ride or die, you talk about power, you talk about people that are going to have the support of, of their favorite artist. And R- Rihanna's fans are up there with anyone, literally anyone in terms of being the most passionate, the most dedicated. And I'll say this too, as someone who's been active on Twitter since that time, uh, you don't want to cross them <laughs> or, or, you know, and, and by cross them, I mean, like say anything that might be perceived as remotely critical of their favorite artist, or you're going to spend a couple days like wishing your timeline was still usable. Uh, because, <laughs> because, you know, I see, I see Evan laughing. Like, he, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yes. Bill, have you, have you been on the wrong side of these armies before? I have. I mean, plenty of times. I don't know about, I, I, I don't think I've ever been on the wrong side of 
Rihanna's Navy specifically, but uh, I definitely ran afoul of like Gaga's Little Monsters a few times uh, and and barely lived to tell about it. I myself have survived the barbs of Nicki Minaj on Twitter, so I completely understand. (laughs) More making in a minute. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. By 2014, Rihanna had become much more than an international pop star. I grew up in a really small island, (laughs) and I didn't have a lot of access to fashion. But um, as far as I could remember... Fashion has always been my defense mechanism. Even, even as a child, I, would, I remember thinking, she could beat me, but she cannot beat my outfit. <laughs> it started as it always does with celebrity fashion stints, with her striking public looks. on the red carpet at the Met Gala. We have all been waiting for this moment. She was named Fashion Icon of the Year in 2014, dressed from head to toe in Swarovski crystals. Then... So what's the big news with Rihanna? Oh, she just became the new global brand ambassador for Puma. That's all. But being a brand ambassador with the best shoe was not enough for Riri. She had to make waves in the industry. In 2017, she rolled out the Fenty Beauty Collection. First, makeup. Rocking the makeup world, the first line to include over 40 different shades. Then, lingerie. And some fashion critics are even saying her show is a pointed critique of that other colossus of women's underwear, Victoria's Secret. With Victoria's Secret sales down. And finally, in 2019, she solidified her status as a mogul, launching Fenty with LVMH, the largest luxury conglomerate in the world. And she just kept climbing. Rihanna is now the youngest self-made billionaire woman in the U.S. You know, it was real weird getting congratulations uh, texts from people for money, but... It it made sense when I realized that it it was inspiring to people that they felt like this is something that they could achieve. Knowing where I've come from, knowing my humble beginnings, they see uh, the possibility and it gives them hope. And that that made me feel um, really happy. Choma, let's rewind real quick to Robin Fenty growing up in Barbados. When she was a kid, did she already kind of plant the seeds of her fashion interest? Uh, what did she learn from Barbados that she carried with her into the fashion world? Yeah, um, you know, she all of her friends kind of went to her for fashion advice. And her aunt had a store 
Um, and she was the girl that everybody wanted to be dressed by and she had a natural instinct for fashion. And I think that probably came from spending hanging out at her aunt's tour, but it's probably really innate to her, you know. I spoke to some of her some of her childhood friends recently and, and they, they sort of said that she was she would all style them, which I thought was pretty sweet. All right, so fast forwarding a decade later, she's Puma's brand ambassador. She's coming out with radically inclusive lines and she's really caught your eye. What is she doing in fashion that makes her a big deal? I think she has the ability, you know, she just can anticipate the moment. She understands what we want before we know we want it because she has so much fun with fashion. I remember meeting her, interviewing her backstage uh, for her first Puma show. And, you know, she notices what other people wear. I remember she 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 knew I was wearing, I think I was wearing sort of vintage Jean-Paul Gaultier and she noticed. And she is a fashion nerd. Like she she loves it, you know, and you see that come through in, in, in everything that she does. You see that like she's obsessive about these things. And I think she came through at a time when we weren't seeing pop stars at that degree being multi-hyphenates. There were a few that had tried their hand at at fashion, but nobody has succeeded in the same way that she had um, because she really really has the right instincts. You know, I engaged with a conversation with her recently for the cover of Vogue, and I sort of suggested that maybe her, what if her child didn't love fashion? And she was just peals of laughter because she just was like, that's not possible. My child has to love fashion. You know, it's like it's a it's a language for her. It's an it's a mode of expression. It's her first line of defense. It's like her joy. Like it's part of how she communicates to the world. So it was no surprise to me that like she was really leaning into it and made it something bigger. Brandon, can I add one little detail uh, that I think echoes or maybe uh, supports a little bit of something that Chamo was saying? Um, probably around 2010. We had this uh, business partnership idea that we wanted to pitch, uh, the billboard wanted to pitch. And I remember reaching out to Rock Nation uh, and Jay Brown. With Jay, it was, well, you know, I kind of like the idea, but we need to get you in front of Rihanna. And I was like, surprised. But Rihanna, I mean, she, you know, I presented this to her. She asked a dozen sharp questions, so hands-on, so involved in her business. I think a lot of fans have this perception that all superstars with like other lines of business just have, you know, smart corporate people making these decisions for them. But this is 100% Rihanna. Nothing happens as far as I've ever seen in her camp. Nothing happens with Rihanna's business without Rihanna being in the weeds, making those choices. And, And it's just so incredibly impressive. Choma, so many, many celebrities, you know, they they try to do the fashion thing, but you mentioned the strategy that Rihanna had. Can you speak to how that compares to what other musicians do and why that strategy and intention really matters in the fashion game? I don't know if it's like so much strategy as kind of innate sense of style and instincts. She also really knows her body, so she knows what she needs. And when she doesn't get what she needs whether it's the lingerie that was missing, the foundation that wasn't available, well, then maybe that that's an opportunity, right? So I think she grew up seeing her mother do her makeup and knowing that, 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 that there were certain colors not available to black and brown women. And it was fulfilling a need. Like, you know, it was the same when she launched Savage. There, there weren't, she, she got up to make that amazing speech to accept the CFDA award 
I am so pleased to present the 2014 CFDA Fashion Icon Award to my tweeting buddy, Rihanna. And, you know, at the time, there were no panties that were her shade of nude. And so she had to wear these, these, this underwear that wasn't quite right. And it was from there that the idea to do the savage came from because she was like, why, why doesn't this exist? Like, why don't women who look like me have the options that they should have? So it, it's, it's obviously she loves it, but she's smart, you know, like she's not, she's not a billionaire for no reason. You know, she's built something from sort of anticipating these things and being totally connected to what's going on in the culture, which I think is very difficult to do. That's where she has managed to sort of outshine so many of these other celebrities who've not, it doesn't come from an authentic place, perhaps, you know, when other people do it. And that impact of Fenty. I mean, you know, I I talk to women all the time, black women, Latino women, who for them, it's deeper than just vanity. It's, It's way more than vanity. It's about having yourself seen, seen. being represented, mm-hmm. right? 100%. To, to absolutely just be yourself and have products that reflect who you are at your core. And it seems like that's what Rihanna was able to tap into that no one else really did. 100%. And it really came from a place of, like, A, of need, like, that this thing doesn't exist, and B, of, like, real instinct and, um, and style kind of acume, like, she has it. Talk to us a little bit about her movement in maternity fashion. Yeah, you know, um, I kind of was lucky enough to sit down with Rihanna in in Paris over dinner when she was about, she must have been about seven months pregnant. And she was loving it. <laughs> she was loving it. I walked in, she was tucked away in the corner. Uh, nobody was kind of paying any attention. She was just there alone. And she just talked about how... This, how much she enjoyed being pregnant because it sort of presented a challenge and she loves nothing more than a challenge. And I think for a lot of women, it was such a sort of, they've sort of breathed a sigh of relief because women are told to hide, you know, women are told to hide. And um, it's a moment where you're sort of like always trying to disguise the bump. And here she was kind of fully putting it on full display. Like I was at the Dior show when she walked in in this sort of see-through baby doll dress with a with um you know her own design lingerie which was like basically dental floss like <laughs> and it was incredible i think um she's managed to shake up that world you know and maternity wear never had a sexy ring to it and um i'm sort of like you know sad it's only 9 months <laughs> Evan, what do you think is the next best move for Rihanna? Hmm. Um, she's in a position right now where she doesn't have to do anything. And I think as we keep referring to her instincts and her sort of ability to know the right moment to make the right move, I obviously am curious to see what happens. I'm like everybody else. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm a fan, too. I, I can't wait to hear it, but... One thing I know, it'll be right when she says it's time. There's certainly no need for her to rush anything. She can do whatever the hell she wants.
Making Rihanna was produced by Hina Srivastava and Justin Bull. I'm your host, Brandon Pope. Our executive producer is Brendan Benizak. Special thanks to Tom Brehan and Melina Rizik for help on the show. More episodes are on the way, so be sure to press that subscribe button, and we'll see you soon.